Welcome back to our 10th episode of Orange Overtime. This is Tyler Schiff, joined alongside by Adam Campos. And can I just say, it's been a joy thus far producing these episodes for y'all, so without any further ado, let's get straight into it. In today's edition, we have the recaps of the Virginia and Miami games. Then we're going to hop right into previewing a huge showdown between Syracuse and Wake Forest down in Winston-Salem. Don't forget, follow us on all our socials at Orange Overtime and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. So, Adam, starting with you, please, you know, tell us about that Virginia recap. How did the Orange do? And, uh, you know, it didn't end the way we wanted to. But, yeah, just let us know about your thoughts. Okay, this Virginia game, I would say it wasn't the most disappointing loss of the year. Let's just say that. But it was a game that they probably should have could have they could have won this game easily tied at half and everything could have won this but it was a game of run this was this is another example of how basketball is a game of runs and that's exactly what this game was because it was a constant back and forth between virginia and syracuse and as we saw in the first half virginia pulled out a few runs of their own and then syracuse to finish the half 20 to 8 run themselves and as soon as the second half got started, Syracuse took their first lead of the game with the first bucket of the mm-hmm. half. And then Virginia went on a small run themselves. And then every time that Syracuse tried compiling a run in this game in the second half, Virginia just kept cutting it off. And any time that yeah. that run is cut off, and that's the thing too, in this game, there were a lot of momentum, momentum shifting plays. Again, um, the biggest one that I could think of that should have been a momentum shifter for Syracuse was Jimmy's dunk. First off, mm-hmm. props to props to him with the bounce <laughs> on that. that. That was cool. Huge dunk. Yeah, sneaky. That was sneaky. For real. Exactly. But right after that, Virginia got two straight fast breaks. And and mm-hmm. I, and, an and one. I don't know if they were fast breaks, but two, two easy buckets right away. Got into the paint. Easy layups. That can't happen off of a play, play after Jimmy having a dunk like that. That can't happen. So this game was really, it was a game of runs again. And that's what basketball is. It showed the epitome of what basketball is. Um, mm. And just, again, this was a game that they could have won. It just, it, it's crazy to me at the fact that they could not, they kept trading baskets. And as you start trading baskets, it just, it that's not a good sign for the team. And then also yeah. to Virginia, they did have some surprise performances from players from your favorite player on Virginia Kihei Clark Virginia was Virginia's not a good shooting team they're not they're not they no. do not have that no, same sir. team that they had three four years ago championship team where they just had anybody to go get a bucket for them we said that in the preview too mm. but yeah. what we did see was the classic gritty nitty Virginia defense because Virginia this whole season they've held opponents to 30, let, let, let me see, let me see, let me see. I have the stat. 33.1% from the field. Syracuse shot only 3% above that, but still, 36% mm. from the field. It's not a good shooting night for the team. And also, Virginia has held teams to 25% from three, and Syracuse only shot 34%. So, even though they were, Syracuse was above those percentages that Virginia's defense has been holding teams to, they still held them yeah. to a really low clip. So... <clears throat> Overall, from when you what you saw from it, it was a classic Virginia hard-fought game. It was a classic hard-fought yep. game by Virginia on the defensive end. And mm. Syracuse just could not find any type of 
momentum shifter, even though they had a few, to pull themselves ahead. Overall, I thought it was a it was a good game. I'm again, it wasn't. We're gonna get into the Miami game. That's a whole different story. But this <laughs> yeah. game itself, I wasn't I wasn't that mad at it. But at the same time, it's like those are one of those ones where that discipline again going into the second half, starting the three again, the first three minutes of the second half are always what's gonna tell the game. It's the most crucial point in the second half to me in the game personally. And that's where Virginia, yep. they made that run, and it was just the same story every time the rest of the second half, and that's why Virginia pulled ahead. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I can say with complete confidence that you and I both are, you know, we're much more angered by the Miami loss. But, yeah, again, just to like, harp on what you said, this is a game we could have won, which is what makes this loss so much more painful. Yeah, it's, um, it's not like it's... It's one. It's again. It's a winnable game. It's a, it's a like you said. It's yeah. just a game. It's right there. It's in your hands, pretty much. Especially being at the dome. Um, I yeah. think I think that's one thing about it too. Is like you got to protect home home court, and they and they didn't. They just cannot pull ahead. Yeah, and you talk about surprise performances, right? I mean, Kihei Clark. If you're asking me to kind of estimate his stats, you know, pre-game, I'm gonna tell you that he's gonna. A surprise for me is Kihei Clark getting 12 plus points. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to say that and straight he, And up. he drops 17 um, with three threes. Yeah. And he don't yeah. shoot like and, that. And um, a super clutch deep three oh, late in the my. game. And that, that I think, I wouldn't call, I think we could call that the dagger. I just, like, I was just in pure shock when I, I think, I think it was the dagger in the hearts of fans. Because it was just so, it was so unpredictable, so surprising. And it was also just, you know, a huge, you talked about momentum. It was a huge momentum shifter in the game. It was another so. one of those moments, yeah, where it was like Cuse was starting to build a run. And then Kihei right. pulls up from three to four feet behind the three-point line and mm. knocks it down. Even the announcers, they were like, Kihei for three from deep. Like, what? I, I When I saw that, yeah. I was like, I was like, all right, it's just that type of night for them. And yep. the one thing, too, it's like, we we had this conversation about like a live and die by the three. They put up thirty threes this game, and to me, especially when it came late, they started settling from outside. And Virginia had two guys, two key guys in Beekman and I forgot who the other player was, with four fouls. Hmm. Get to the basket on. These I think. Guys. Uh, sorry, I think it was. Um, I think it was Jaden Gardner. Am I right about that? Yeah, it was Gardner and Beekman. They, yeah, and who are they guarding? They're guarding Buddy. They're guarding Swider. They're guarding those length, those lengthy athletic, or not athletic, but lengthy oh. guys. Uh, some That's of the better scores on Cuse. Get to the basket and foul them out of the game. Be more aggressive. That's Don't just settle outside. That was the thing too. It's because by them settling outside, it bailed out Virginia's defense as well. Because when you have That's what I'm saying. When you have four fouls like Gardner and Beekman did, you can't be as aggressive on D. And Gardner and Beekman are some of the most aggressive guys on Virginia's defensive line. So, I mean, to see them settle back and not try to punish them inside going in, just even for a, a floater or something like that, as long as you have them riding on you, you Buddy knows how to how to create contact. It would have been nice to see him, him to probably drive a little bit more. Again, Swider's another person. I think just overall, he needs to start getting to the basket more to start getting some type of flow. And right there, it, that discipline on offense... It, it wasn't there in the second half. 
Yeah, the point you just brought up, I mean, yeah, it frustrates me. You, you talked about four guys with fouls. These are, you know, two players that headline this Virginia squad along with Kihei Clark. This is part of your big three, and two of those big three have four fouls. And you and who are they guarding? They're guarding, you know, um, like arguably two of Syracuse's player, players with the most, you know, offensive prowess on that team. So Buddy needs to find his aggressive self, like he did in those games with Cornell and Brown, so you're coming off those two games. Why can't you, you know, pull that momentum from those games and really go at Gardner, who's guarding you? I mean, I, I remember you live tweeted it. I think you said, I mean, I'm not going to quote you word for word, but you said something like, Gardner has four fouls, go for him. Like, whoever whoever Gardner's guarding, just go for him. And exactly, you know, that's completely the recipe. That's the recipe for success. It just didn't happen. And, you know, hey, I'm just saying right now, Gar- Jaden Gardner is an upperclassman. He's an experienced and valued member of this team. He fouls out. Get him out. Exactly. Again, Kihei Clark had 17, but what is, you know, Kihei Clark's not even going to, he's not going to be that much more productive on offense. 17 is already pushing the ceiling for him. <laughs> if Gardner fouls out, you lose your offensive production. You lose your, your primary defender for Buddy Buckets. And you know the whole game could have gone completely different. And he caught and he caught that fourth foul still pretty early in the second. I think there was about six, seven minutes left. Something. It, it, he there was still plenty of time on the clock when he caught that. That's fourth plenty foul. of time in a college game in an ACC college game. Plenty yeah. of time. So I mean, it's just like that's just a matter of discipline on on that. I know I keep repeating that word, but it's the bottom line truth. All of this comes back to the discipline of the Syracuse team. And I would, you know, that's something that I would have thought the coaches, because especially with that fourth foul that Gardner got, it was a bad foul on him. And even, and I remember the announcers mm-hmm. even noted too, like he's an experienced player. That's not a foul you want to make. And <clears throat> it, even though he didn't agree with the call or anything like that, it's still, you know, as a, yeah. as an experienced player, you can't put yourself yeah. in that type of position, especially when you're yeah. a top player like that. So, I mean, you would think the coaches mm-hmm. would have told these guys, like get downhill on them Force them to allow you to go in in for the shot, uh, because they're going to sit back. Gardner, you saw too, and Beekman late in that game. They had to be less aggressive because if they fouled out, you're losing some of your top defenders. So I mean, again, that's just a matter of IQ right there to know like let these guys go on them, let them drive, and if anything too, Virginia's going to sink in to help. You got the driving kick open, so it would have been nice to see them go for more more downhill options, but. What can you do? That's not what happened, and they ended up dropping this game. Yeah, and um, you know we've talked about, we've touched upon now the negatives that we kind of seen in this game. Um, you know, primarily, I agree with you. It was on the offensive side of the ball, but I mean, what positives can you draw from this game? Maybe some players who you know played well, played above their expectations. Just kind of talk about that for the Syracuse Orange. I mean, you saw Buddy. He had 27. He didn't get start. He didn't start getting going until late in the first half. But you saw mm. when he got going, he got going. He he just looked way mm. more. He looked way once he got settled in into that game. He looked way more smooth with the ball. He looked a lot. He just looked way more dialed in compared to when notable he notable notable bucket is that deep three. That deep deep three. Mm-hmm. That was just totally. It wasn't even in the flow of the game. It wasn't even. Was in rhythm. It was his. I don't know if you can no, he was. Me, in, he was in rhythm. <laughs> yeah. For Syracuse, no, that that no. For yeah. them, you would think in this game, he just launched. Like, it. Oh yeah, he just pulled that, and it was like, oh, yeah. it, it was. It was one of those moments where you're like, okay, no, Buddy could do that. Like, 
Yeah. You know it, but at the same time, when you see it, you're like, for how he has been shooting this year, you think, oh my God, like he really just pulled that. But again, yeah. 20, 27 <laughs> points. I mean, that was his third game. That was his third game in a row dropping 20 plus. So, I mean, that was a great sign for great him. Great sign. Uh, Jimmy Beheim putting in 18 points. That was a great sign seeing the brothers mm-hmm. combine for, I think it was 45 on the game. I don't know if my math's right. Yeah, 45. Yeah, 45 on the game. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. This is why I'm a journalism major because I I don't do math. Yeah. It's the bottom line. Um, but I got it. So 45 for the game. After that, I don't know how much more positives there are. Jesse Edwards had a good game. Mm-hmm. He also did too. But dude, he's got to stop fouling out. This is another note that I made in the Miami game. He's got to stop fouling yep. out. That just completely yep. negates the defense that you are playing. That your team is playing. Hey, not only is it hurting you, it's hurting your team by consistently fouling out. I, I should have marked down yeah. what number game this was of him fouling out. Because he has probably fouled yeah. out in more than half the games this year. Or half, at least. Yeah. Easily, like, I want to say four. And that's kind of, that's you know, that's kind of a, yeah, that's, I, I'm, I don't even think that's, like, a heavy estimate. I think that's rather, that's, that's, that's on the lighter side, that, I think. That really is on yeah, the lighter yeah. side. Because, I mean, it's just, yeah. like. Again, you're you're six eleven, dude. You do not have to swipe down every time somebody comes in. Stay straight mm. up. You he already makes enough of a presence with himself being that tall. So, again, just you see Syracuse have some really good defensive possessions, and then it gets negated with the foul from Jesse, and and that's a momentum killer as well. So, For sure. and then uh, this is talking about Swider again. I kind of already made that point. Stop settling from outside. He had a really yeah. nice drive against Virginia. He he went inside, had a jab set to the left, went inside to the middle. Nice mm-hmm. little floater. Let's let's mm-hmm. see more of that. You're struggling from outside. You just cannot find that flow right now. Let's see more of that. And then yeah, and I, I mean I just want to I just want to talk a little bit about like Cole Swider as you know an athletic specimen. Man's a six nine. He could put the ball on the floor. He could shoot it, although, you know, we haven't really seen the bright side of that. And for those facts, like, for, for that fact by itself, that he can't really shoot the ball, but he has the frame to take it inside and shoot over the taller defenders. Exactly. Exactly your point. It, when the shot's not falling for you, where are you going to get the majority of your points? Inside. And I think he, you know, I think if he tries it more, he will become, obviously, more reliable with that shot. I would trust him. I would trust him. Right now, I would trust... If Cole Swider goes from the left wing, sweeps right, passes defender, he might not even lose his defender. Maybe just a quick floater. He's First of all, he's getting that off. Second of all, you know, I have a good amount of trust in him making that shot. I'd rather see him miss a, like a floater or something like that than oh. some of the threes that he's missed. Because, because yeah. it's just like, again, you're supposed to be that sniper. You were coming off of shooting 40% at Villanova. And... Mm. We're not seeing anything near that. So, I mean, again, just <laughs> you would think start getting inside more. It looked pretty. That drive looked pretty. The announcers, even then, too, they're like, Swider with his athletic frame, just it getting past the defender, one dribble, putting it up over the big guy. Let's see more of that. It's it's as yep. simple as that. And then... 100% agree. And it's funny, too. We're, we were supposed to be talking about positives. Again, there weren't there weren't that there weren't that many from the yeah. from the base of it, honestly. And then you got JG three, who we haven't even mentioned. 
in this episode so far. So far, he, he, no. was, a, he was a no-show. I mean, mm-hmm. one game he's coming out, he's lighting it up. We're going to talk about it in Miami. And the next game, he's dead silent. That inconsistency kills. And I said it before. This team honestly sways off of how JG3 plays. Yeah, you talked about him being the X Factor. He's he's the X Factor. And, I mean, then again, too. But, no, I can't. But then they against Miami. I'm gonna talk about that later. Whatever this game, we'll get to that. this game against Virginia. He was a no show. One for five from the field. I think something like that. I mean, no, no aggressiveness at all. And he has the ability to be aggressive. So I mean, to I understand Virginia is a hard knocks defensive team, and especially with their guard, that backcourt. It is a really good defensive backcourt. JG three mm-hmm. is able. He's able to get a bucket. So. Honestly, it, in some games like this, he's just he's got to be consistently aggressive. Because some games he is, some games he isn't. Even if he's off, I'd rather see him in some moments be more aggressive than kind of sit back. Even though sometimes he puts up the craziest shots, this <laughs> year he hasn't really... He, he's been a little bit smarter with the shot selection. So I want to see him oh, just sure. in a lot of games be more aggressive if he can. For sure. I yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, you know, I, I might even go as far as to say as if one crazy off balance, com- like super deep three pointer will get his confidence back, make or miss. Like if he's not getting subbed out immediately after that shot, and that gives him a little more confidence, I'd take that. I take that. He's just like he's a player that you know plays off so much confidence. Even though I don't want to see a crazy bad shot be missed. If that's what it takes to make this man consistent, please, he, please. He feeds off that Bring energy. I, I don't think I have seen sure. somebody feed off of energy as much as Joe Girard does. Because mm-hmm. anytime he knocks down, it, it, at the Indiana game, at Villanova, any of those games, he, as soon as he knocked down a three, he's up, he's telling the crowd, let's go, let's go, let's go. He just Yo, he that's feeds off of energy. So, I mean, for him, yeah, he, you, he needs to create that energy for himself now, too. I think that's what it is as well. Yeah, yeah. You can see it on his face too. Like his face just shows everything. It's so it's almost animated to a certain extent. Like, um, oh no, it is. You know, most notably, most notably when he got that charge against Villanova, that like you know that screen that all like that flex that when he smiles he was dancing in Madison Square Garden when he had the switch off the big man he had Eric Dixon on him scored a bucket on him threes up in the air smile on his face. You know, that's the JG3 we need all the time. Excuse the language, yeah. Talk your shit. Bottom line, yeah. talk your <laughs> shit. That's what it is. I know that's, I know that's what his teammates are telling him. Because that's what they would tell me or I would tell yeah. my teammates. Talk your shit. That's yeah. the bottom line. Go out yeah. there, do what you can do. Everybody knows he's a bucket. So when he goes out there and plays like a bucket, he's hard to stop. But when he sits exactly. back and is conservative with his shots, the team, isn't, the team can't feed off of his energy. So exactly, um, yeah, and um, you know, talk about energy. That's definitely something that Syracuse lacked, especially in the second half against the Miami Hurricanes. So you know, on the fifth fifth of January, you know, Syracuse went to um, went down uh, and played the Hurricanes. They lost eighty eight eighty seven, meaning two straight ACC losses. 
definitely not what you want to see starting off the new year, especially off of, you know, we talked about these confidence-boosting games against Cornell and Brown. We really thought things were going to go our way. You know, Buddy Beheim three straight games, even in the Virginia game, which ended up in a loss. Three straight games with 20-plus points. However, things just not, you know, didn't really go Syracuse's way. You know, I, t- I talked about the second half. You talked about, we both talked about the second half being so key to Syracuse's success. And again, this was a game where the second half was, you know, Syracuse just completely fell apart. And, um, you know, I think you have a list of how many games Syracuse has blown a huge first half lead and ended up losing. But off the top of my head, most notably, the game against Indiana, I think the biggest lead was 19. Going into the ha- going into halftime was 18. It wasn't going um, in. It, that wasn't going into half. But still, they had they had okay. pulled together a 19 point lead against Indiana, and they blew it. Right, right. So, and and you know, eventually Syracuse did win that game, which was the you know major difference between Indiana versus Miami. But you know that win at the end, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have been as hard fought, as scrappy as it ended up being. You know, when you're leading a team by 10 plus points. That's your key. That's your confidence booster that, you know, sticks to the game plan. Keep playing the way you are, and you should be winning this game easily. That's what I'm saying. Miami had 58 points in the second half. 58 points. How? How? And that's compared to that's compared to 30 points in the first half. Well, I mean, I mean, it's just like it amazes me. Like where what do they do when they go into halftime? Okay, we're, yeah. we're going to go back into the halftime leads. <laughs> First off, 58 points is absolutely atrocious to give up in a half. That's a lot in the NBA. The NBA, a 60-point half is a good half for, NBA, for the NBA teams. <laughs> and you gave that up to a college team, to Miami. Miami, all with all due respect, Miami is a hell of a team this year. They showed it. Miami's, especially Miami's backcourt, they're nice. It's bottom line. So yeah. with all due respect, shout out to Miami. Y'all, y'all have really bounced back from last year. But what mm. the hell? There's no reason that you should be giving up 58 points to a college team in a half. In a half. It wasn't the game. It was in a half. And again. It was another, it was a 14 point lead, which was even worse. What was that swing? So that was what they lose by? What is Syracuse? Lost by one, but they lost by one. They lost by one, but don't, don't, don't even like that's kind of misleading. Like toward the last 20 seconds of the game, it was, you know, it was a Syracuse offensive position and then they would foul the Miami guard real quick. Um, You know, I felt like. I felt like Miami was up by. They were up by 10. It wasn't necessarily double digits. Okay, ten or okay. twelve, something like maybe, that. Maybe, maybe they, yeah. But I, I think like as soon as they built that double-digit lead, even though there was some time left in the game, I, I believe the game was over. That was a so even though it, yeah. Go ahead. That that was a twenty-five point plus swing in the game. That's crazy. you're gonna lose. That's crazy. Yeah. You're gonna lose. Yeah. I'm sorry. And you talked, you talked about the first three minutes of the second half being the most important. That's when that fourteen-point lead was completely decimated. Yeah. Like utterly shattered. And it was it was by like three players. I think like it wasn't like Miami put on some crazy. Uh, that's also unfair to say. I, I would say Miami did put on a shooting clinic from three, mm. but silly mistakes, you know, costly turnovers, unforced errors. 
you know, Joe Girard not being able to handle pressure. You know when someone's bringing up the ball and you know in your head before the turnover happens that it's going to happen? Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. For you NBA watchers, that's a rare feeling, right? Because, you know, you're watching all these pros. We're so used to that feeling. <laughs> We're so used to that feeling by now. And it happens to Joe Girard. It happens to Buddy. It happens to Jimmy. Like Jimmy does this thing where, you know, because Syracuse can't build a proper press break, he's forced to bring up the ball sometimes, you know, because Joe picks up, picks up his dribble. We're talking about like 94 feet. He already starts to pick up his dribble, tosses it over to Jim, and Jim is posting up from half court. And that's a recipe for disaster. You're not, you don't have your eyes, your eyes aren't available to see the entire court. And so, you know, a double team causes a trap that causes you to cough up the ball. If you're, you know, playing a good defender one-on-one, you start backing them down from half court, that's a strip, you know, and that's that's what led to the majority of turnovers. You you learn this in high school. You, it, yeah, for, you for bottom line, when you're trying to break a press, first off, you don't catch the ball in the deep corners in the backcourt. Trap area right there. Definitely not. You do not do that. Yeah. That. So and where Number does where does Joe Girard catch the ball half the time? He catches it in those deep corners. So he's forced to... They they already have him in good trap position right there. So he's forced to kick it to that other side. He has to get it out of his hands, which I don't mind seeing it out of his hands in the the pressure. So it's out of his hands. Second thing, how you break a press. Have somebody flash to the middle. And they, they have done this in multiple games before. Nobody is flashing to the middle. And there was one game, I forgot what game it was, but the one time that they actually did, when the team brought on a press, they flashed to the middle, they had a kick to the right side, another kick to the left side, switched sides of the floor, and got a layup on the fast break. They Great transition game. It was the most beautiful transition they probably had all season long. And again, it's simple things like that just that Syracuse is not doing. Again, Dis- That's so crazy. Discipline, bro. It's as simple as that. Joe Girard, you should know that. You should know that you do not want to set yourself up in the deep corners like that. Or when they bring it up to when Joe brings it up on the sideline, he puts himself right there over the front court in the corners as well at half court. That's a dead area. They call that the dead spot for traps because as soon as you step over and you pick up your dribble right there or you set yourself up right there, that's a dead corner. You're going to get trapped. If you got a team like Miami, like what they were doing, or any of these other aggressive defensive teams, they're going to send a double to you. That's so great. Like, when you when you said flash to the middle, that's that's like universal basketball talk. You would like, think I that's high common school. sense. I played, I played high school basketball in Japan. You played high school basketball in California. I would say, arguably, you played at a much higher level than mine. Yet, you know, I knew you were going to say flash to the middle as part of the essentials of a press break. Like, okay. Like, you learned that at the earliest of ages. Yeah. Um, I still think, above all, that's a coaching error. Uh, we won't get too into that. We don't really know what's, you know, Who know? Who knows what? That's another story <laughs> because I could go on about their yeah, defense. that's a whole how, other. How the 2-3 yeah. is being taught because, and I, I will get into that point actually in a little bit about, we will. about yeah. Benny. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just simple stuff like that that this, especially under pressure, Gerard can't handle pressure. This is where I want to see Samir come in. Because Saimir, first yeah. off, he's a no, 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 and 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 Saimir did come in, and he was fine. I want to say for the most part, mm-hmm. they might have stopped pressing at a certain point after that fourteen point lead was completely erased, which makes sense. But yeah, I don't think Jim, you know, Coach Jim didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't bring Saimir in when you know Buddy Jim and uh, 
uh, Joe were turning the ball over. He wasn't like, all right, come on, Samir, like, you're probably our best handler. He didn't recognize that. He didn't sub Samir in, I don't think. And the uh, one time he, he, he subbed. That's, a, that's an issue. I watched, I watched the end of, when watching the end of the game. He subbed Samir in, the, and in one of the few possessions Samir was in, you saw he held the ball up kind of towards half court and everything, and he let the offense flow. That's why I like Samir because this team just whenever their their offensive sets break, it's like here we go. They're gonna put up something crazy. And but Samir just knows how to get this team into their sets. He knows how to control the pace of the game. I have repeated this multiple times. And after Samir got subbed out in this Miami game, you could just see his body language on the bench. He was like, why? You could see him. He was he was leaned back, which obviously on him. I could be one of those people who'd be like, you gotta have better body language, blah blah blah. But if I, but from a playing side of it, I'd be the same way too, because he knows that he could be a valuable asset to this team in terms of running that point guard position. But he's just not being given the chance at this point. It's too late in the season. Yeah, I think. Well, granted, yes, he's not the best scorer. We get more buckets from JG three, but mm-hmm. if you don't want to, if you want to eliminate these careless turnovers that we've been seeing all season long. Especially under pressure, whenever whenever a press comes, even if it's a half court press, get Simir in the game. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And um, you know, I was well. The stat, the stat, the box score definitely tells the story of you know Joe Girard being that scorer. You know, with twenty six, you know, Simir had zero. Maybe that's what Jim was thinking. Kind of understandable, I guess, but you get one thing. Hundred percent. You get one thing from one of them, but you don't get another thing from from them either. One one is great offensive player, not the best defensive player. One's a great defensive player, but not the best offensive player. So it honestly all depends on what you want to go with in that situation. But again, in that situation, to me, I would have rather have seen Samir because of how Syracuse wasn't wasn't uh, converting on the offensive end. And because they were yeah. putting up crazy shots, and then Miami just was knocking down Miami again. Miami that they looked like a whole new team. Just as Syracuse looked like a whole different team in that game, Miami did too. You said it. Even though Miami, they started hitting from outside, but their ball movement was beautiful in the second half. They had Syri- Syracuse had a few good rotations in the in the second half. I mean, there, but it was better offense. I mean, Miami was moving the ball side to side. One more each pass. I mean, it was Miami. Honestly, played the most beautiful second half. They probably will this season. It, again, when you yeah. when you put up fifty eight, that's obviously a great half. But you saw it from this Miami team. Their ball movement was crisp. They were they were hitting each other in their spots. I, I, again, shout out to Miami. Hell of a game. Hell of a game for them. Yeah. So yeah, it, I it was a hell of a game. As a viewer, like if you're completely neutral. Between the two sides, great game. Uh, classic underdog, you know, fighting to win after a huge first half deficit. But, you know, talking about that first half, I think that first half was extremely positive. I personally thought that I think um, probably comparable to the Indiana game and the Villanova game, that was one of the best first halves of Syracuse basketball we've seen all year. And, um, and against and you, know, you know a pretty strong opponent. You know what was funny too when I texted you two, my brother in that last thing. He's like, I watched a minute of this and all I saw was terrible basketball, and I'm like, yeah, that that's the you know and that's the bad. As you said that this was one of Syracuse's better first halves this year. That's not good. 
Because it, it really it wasn't a clean first half for them. Yeah, they were up, and it was one of their better halves of the season. But that's not good if even that's one of your better first halves. Yeah. I think, I think um, Syracuse's success starts with their defense. Um, and, you know, for the, for the last few games now, um, that success specifically stems from Jesse Edwards, offensively and defensively. Um, you know, when he's on the floor, he's just such a force. His presence is such a force. Um, I think he ended the game. I'm going to check the box score, but off the top of my head, I want to say six blocks. Yeah. yeah. Jesse Edwards. It was like six or seven. He had seven blocks. He had seven blocks. So right then and there, I want to say like five of those were in the first half. And, you know, Miami players were scared to go on the inside. They couldn't shoot it on the outside either. Like one of their star players, Isaiah Wong, couldn't hit a single three in the first half. You know, the Hurricanes couldn't really shoot besides uh, their point guard, Charlie Moore. We'll get into that later. He was, you know, one of the only bright spots for the Hurricanes in the first half. But, you know, back to Jesse Edwards. This guy was blocking shots, running the floor, excellent footwork into a post hook, a layup, a few dunks here and there. I mean, don't want to call his game flawless necessarily, but it was very close to that in the first half. And so you have this energy, this spark from your big man. And so that leads you to, you know, cause all kinds of traps in the corner in the first half. It causes Joe to, you know, cut the passing lanes in the zone during the first half. Um, Everyone was communicating. Everyone was, you know, if Joe's in the corner, hey, um, what's going to happen? Buddy's going to have to shift to the top of the zone where Joe was. And hey, the the bottom side wing, who's on the left-hand side, would have to pop up and help at the top for a little too, if you follow me. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. no, yeah, Jesse, Jesse, and I, 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 I'm, I was one of those people, I'm like, really? Is Jesse S. Edwards going to be like this guy for us this year? Again, right, besides right. the fact that he has been in foul trouble pretty much every game this year, he's probably mm-hmm. been the most consistent player. It, it's, I don't, Yo. I don't, he's 22 and six blocks. It's pretty damn good. 10 for 13. He's second in the country or third in the country. Whatever it is, he's in the top three in the country for field goal percentage. I mean, straight up. That Jesse's, he, yeah, you can say it now. He's the most improved player. Easy. Easy. Yo, straight up. Beginning of the season, we said he was the most improved player. I actually don't remember your take on that. Okay, I did. did. You said it. But I will not go as far as to say he is the MVP. I refuse to do that right now. I refuse to do that right now, too. Full trust, full trust in hometown hero, uh, Buddy Buckets. But do I see him potentially becoming the MVP further down the season? I'm going to go ahead and say I do. It's not (laughs) crazy. It's honestly, it's not crazy to say at this point because he really, he really has been playing. He's been one of the better bigs in the country this year. I mean, he's not this explosive, strong a hard knock player right like armando bacot and some of the other bigs in the country right right but i mean in terms of just straight play night in and night out you can say he has been one of the better bigs in the country this year i'm not going to go as far and say that either because there are a lot of talented bigs in the ncaa but i mean again the field goal percentage shows his defensive efforts are showing i rebounding he's eh, he's okay but yeah jesse i i give it to you tyler you said it you said it at the beginning of the season and i wasn't riding with him i really i really wasn't 
but he's yeah. I I have to fess up to this. He has been probably the most consistent player for Q's this year. That's what I'm saying. And um, you know, besides Jesse Edwards, um, and that defense that we talked about, I think the Syracuse offense was amazing. Like it was at that point where, you know, you're gonna love this analogy. You're gonna love this analogy, Adam. When we see Steph Curry hit shoot a three, we're surprised when he misses. Oh, absolutely. There was a point there was a point in that first half when there were just so many makes from, you know, all sorts of players. We're talking not necessarily Buddy, but it mostly came from Joe and Cole. Um, well, shit. There were just so many makes that... Swider hit six threes. Yeah. This is, so, every time... It felt like every time the two of them, the ball left their fingertips, uh, you know, towards the end of the first half, I was expecting it to go in. And for the most part, it did. Um, and so, that, I think, really helped propel that lead to balloon up to 14 the way it did. Um, again, great. That's a great look on Cole. Finally, you know, finding a stroke. Um, definitely what we want to see, even though we did talk about him wanting to go inside more, him finding a shot, you know, makes him a lot more two dimensional. So now he has that choice. Um, you know, you talked about Joe being inconsistent. I think this game in particular, he was extremely consistent first half, second half. He's pouring this buckets in. Um, but yeah, it's important that he continues that. Uh, he had 26 points, I think off of like really great free throws, uh, Sorry, three-point shooting percentage. Seven from 12. Seven for 12 from three. I'll take that any day from Joe Girard. Um, if you can follow that up uh, with, you know, the next ACC competition, that'd be great. Um, and you, you know yeah. you know what makes this loss to Miami even more sad? At the fact, not even, not even at the fact that they blew that 14-point lead at half, which, okay, let me mention, again, that's their fourth, so I can keep it quick. I didn't even mention it earlier. That's their fourth bl- <laughs> halftime lead blown this year. So, again, second yes. half, they're a completely different team. Let, I'll just leave that mm-hmm. out. Done. We finally noted it because we kept going on tangents. What mm-hmm. makes this loss <laughs> even worse is that when you look at the splits on ESPN, on the stats, Syracuse shot 49% from the field, 53% from three, and 66% from the free throw line. Now, you look at Miami splits. from the field, 36% from three-point range, but 79% from from the free throw line. But still, the main two in three-point field goal percentage and and overall field goal percentage, Syracuse Syracuse won. Or they win that. They out-rebounded Miami. They had more assists than Miami. All the stats would line up to Syracuse win. Yep. And it's just like... It makes... Yeah, go ahead. You know, hey, I want to I want to talk about the the free throw one in general. Um, so that free throw stat that you read, sixty six to seventy nine, that's a pretty big difference. And you know who on Syracuse shot the most free throws? Well, that would be Jimmy Beheim. And you know, throughout he's a fifth year now. He's you know shot countless free throws. Who knows God? God knows how many free throws he shot. Um, practice and in game. But, you know, starting at Cornell, he was a 61.9% free throw shooter. You know, give him two seasons, two seasons later, he gets 64%, 71.6%. But this year at Syracuse, you know, his most experienced year, I would he, he averages 54.3% from free throw. That's really horrendous, in my opinion. Like, we're talking about a guy who, you know, we say that he's Mr. Reliable, Mr. Do-It-All. 
Um, you know, we, we, we say that we feel safe when the ball is in his hands, but then he goes two for five from free throw this game, his percentage lowers. And um, yeah, when you're talking about free baskets, not too far from the basket itself, come on, those points count. Those points add up throughout the game. And um, and they did. They yeah, did he just makes, one. yeah, clearly, clearly it did, yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, the more I talk about this Miami game, the more I just sit here and shake my head. I can't keep defending. I I, I told you that I can't keep defending this team. <laughs> one <laughs> one way or another, they just find a way to piss me off. <laughs> and I, again, I've been riding with them for so long. I've been, I've really been trying to ride with them. But I mean, after you blow a 14 point lead and you give up 50, uh, I'm not going to get over that. 58 points in the second half. In a half. I just want to say, I just want to say that we apologize to our listeners if listening to this podcast might just put you down. <laughs> like, I feel like we don't want to come on this podcast as negative people. But, you know, watching this style of play sometimes, it just infuriates you so much. Like, we really hope that you could really listen to this, go outside, have a great day, you know, play some ball. Watch some Syracuse highlights, maybe, and not be pissed off as much as we are. But hey, we're just delivering you our, you know, pure, unfiltered opinions. Hope we, yeah, we no, hope it's, you ride with us. It, yeah. No, these opinions are very much filtered because if I was to make this unfiltered, no, nah, you would hear a lot more cuss words. Trust, <laughs> trust, and you know how my mouth can get sometimes, and it's not, it's not pleasant. But you not know, the prettiest. Let, let's keep this PG. So. Even though a few times I've let it out, but oh well, uh, it could get a lot worse. But yeah, it's just like I can't, I can't keep defending this team. It one, it's one reason or another they just find a way to just completely shoot down any type of positive thing that we say about them. And I hope when people are listening to this too, they at least agree with us. Because, but I mean, again, it's not, it's not that hard to see where the problems are with the Syracuse team. This isn't like analyzing. A Duke loss. This isn't analyzing a Gonzaga or a UCLA loss where it's like, all right, what happened mm-hmm. tonight? Or what did they do wrong? It's the same yeah. stuff every game. It really is, yeah. So, I mean, you can't really... Again, there's only so much defend, defending you can do for this team. And I, I'm about I'm about there with it. I'm, I, can't, I can't keep doing it. Yeah, and Adam, what, what's, what's our record now? Seven and seven. And this is an interesting point. Out of 46, we saw this, 7-7 seven seven overall. There has never been a point in 46 years of Bayheim at the top of this program where they have been 514 games into the season. This, this is mm-hmm. the, probably the worst season of Syracuse basketball. So off that, that stat right now, that's, that's where this direction is heading, that this is probably the worst team in Syracuse program history with Bayheim at the head of the team. And that, that's come on. That's honest. Guys. That's so unfortunate to say. Because granted, Adam, they did Adam, they played they did play a strong preseason, but still, it's no excuse. Adam, this is our first year on campus. You know, joining a huge great program, great broadcast journalism program, you know, which primarily the reason why we came to Syracuse. But well, we came to Syracuse facts. to watch some great basketball. We came to Syracuse to watch some great basketball. You know, haven't, hey guys, haven't really delivered on that promise, but, you know, we'll keep waiting. We'll keep riding with this team, hopefully. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like we said, this was a game easily of two halves. 
you know, Syracuse easily took the first one and very, very easily lost the second one. Yeah. Um, completely trounced by Miami in the second half, you know. And it was just, it was honestly just three main guys. Um, it was it was uh, Charlie Moore, the point guard, and he was really hitting <laughs> deep threes from all over. He's nice. There was, um, yeah, Cam Augusti, the reigning ACC player of the year. I mean, you're not really going to, you know, shut him up from an offensive perspective. He's going to go get his own. He had, you know, a pretty strong showing, but... I, I don't know. Like besides those two, I mean, their star sophomore Isaiah Wong didn't really get going until the second half. Um, and I think what must be touched upon is Buddy Beheim. This guy is supposed to be our MVP, and he looked, you know, out of sorts on all aspects of this game. He fouled out, which was you know a rare thing to to see. Um, and so, yeah, for much of this game, I was just, I couldn't believe my eyes. He only you know, put up seven shots for so much. Seven shots. I mean, that, that could have been, that could have been, uh, due to Miami, um, who opted to, to, to double team him through certain, certain parts of the game. And that's, but I that's just think, great. Um, that's great coaching by, by Miami. I texted you this too. Sorry to interrupt again. I feel yeah. like I've been doing that, but no, 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 I, I have ahead. to make go, this, go for it, I have to make this point. I texted you that if I were any team. I'd be sending that double on that on that middle spin move that Buddy does. He, that's his favorite go-to move is that little back down move into the middle. As soon as he brings yeah. that and as soon as he goes for that spin, I'm helping off of my guy and I'm going to send that double. And that's what Miami did. Miami did that yeah. all night long. And I mean, that is a key reason to why he couldn't get going because they just kept sinking in. But again, you would think coaches would have been doing this earlier. Because, that again, that is his go-to move, that little back down for whether it's a fade, a floater, or a layup. Just, yep, every time. That's what I would tell my team. I would say as soon as he gets into that middle, he's looking for the spin move either way. Help off your guy. I don't care I don't care if you got Joe Girard. I don't care if you got Cole Swider. If you're helping off them in the corner or on the wing, let them be open. As soon as he drives into the middle, middle send that help. Send that double. I mean, from a basketball sense, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. From a basketball sense. Yeah. You know, that makes perfect sense because here's a guy who's mid-spin. You kind of, when you opt for the spin move, you're, you kind of have that move, you know, pre-programmed in your mind that you're going to do it. So you're sticking with the spin move. You can't really see the whole floor. You're concentrated on that spin move, which, you know, hopes to get a shot off or a layup off. And that's the perfect time for a help side defender to rip the ball away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if, you know, further down the line, ACC coaches, do they follow Jim Laranega's um, uh, coaching scheme? Do they not? Uh, does Buddy, you know, try and change up his game to kind of mitigate the possible damages that can come from that, the possible turnovers? Um, you know, does Jim maybe drop a new offense? Probably not that likely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the line. Um, and yeah, overall, to to yeah. get into the point too, let, let's talk about this. We 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 go, we're going to talk a little bit more about the bench. This has been a great episode. Mm. Also, let me say for a tenth episode, we got this has been some great content. I love this. this yeah. We're already like forty yeah. minutes in. So if y'all stuck, no ar- if y'all stuck around for this long, I'm happy you did. Because again, I am very i <laughs> I've been happy with this episode. But yeah, we saw I saw a note too about this game. The plus minus. We have to talk about it. Mm. The leading player 
in the plus minus section, in the plus minus category, Benny Williams, plus nine, hmm. nine minutes of the game. Not that meant, not that, not that much minutes playing in the game, but in those nine minutes, yeah. that means he was really effective. Yeah. Now then, you have the worst player. It was Jimmy, which for the most part hmm. you wouldn't expect that. He was minus ten in thirty-two minutes. Which is, it's not horrible, but again, it's that's not what you want to see from a guy, from one of your starters to be minus ten in, in playing thirty two minutes. It's not good. So I bring the question to yeah. you, Tyler. Do you think I, I'd have to look at the trend all season of what his plus minus has been when he's in? But just off noting that in a game like this Miami game, should Benny be getting more minutes? Simple as that. Yes or no. Well, first off, I want to give a shout-out to Benny Williams, who hit his first three that game. He was previously 0 for 6, but hats off to the young man who hit his first three. Sorry, not of the game, of this season. Um, oh, God. Hold but on. I th- <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. All right, let me I think, I'm going to No, no, no. But I think, um, for sure, I think that Benny Williams should definitely be getting a lot of playing time. Or, you know, more than nine minutes that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very simple yes for me. I think... You know, that stat is so interesting on so many levels. Here you have the most experienced player on the team versus the least experienced. Like, I think he's, you know, arguably one of the only freshmen. Like, one of the true freshmen on that team. He if is. not the only one, yeah. The one that plays, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I think that seeing Benny Williams, his energy, his athleticism, um, you know, that why wouldn't that help? Especially from his strong showing, I think he was more, you know, defensive-minded. I think throughout his game, in general, he's more defensive-minded. Against Miami, he was a help in the first half on the defensive end. Um, But I think offensively, he could help too. I think, um, you know, you're only going to make these players better by giving them more time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's a simple yes for me. And I I, I agree with you. Yes. I I think he should be getting more minutes. He's a five-star for a reason. And he's got great athleticism, and he's honestly hasn't been the worst defender. The only thing with yeah. Benny, which I think I I've noticed a lot in this season, is that he's just he hasn't adapted that well to the rotations on the bottom of that two three zone. There's too many times this year where I can nitpick and see where he's out of rotation, and the team has gotten an easy an easy dump down for a dunk or a layup, whatever it is. Yeah. That easy high-low yeah. action because of how he tends to stay up. Instead of just hedging at the guy and bumping back down, he tends to stay up, and it forces mm. that middle guy, whether it's Jesse or Jimmy, to step up, and then it's leaving that backside open. I've just seen it a little too many times when he's in the game. So I think that might be hurting him in some ways, but... I mean, when the numbers show in a plus minus, he probably should be getting more minutes. Because then again, too, if instead of just nitpicking Benny, that's happened to a lot of guys this year that has. And let me just let me just make this point too. Actually, no, never mind. I'll save that. For, I'll save that for a little bit later. But yeah, no, I think bottom line, <laughs> ben, no, ben, Benny probably should be getting more minutes. But I think he he still needs to adapt to this two three defense. Yeah, and I touch upon his good defense against Miami because, you know, he did the things that you said that he wasn't so good at. Mm -hmm. So, you know, give him more time. If he can 
continue to develop and and work on you know his his negatives when it comes to defense you know you're looking at the same Benny who was talking trash after two games with two big blocks um possibly making right right like he smiled after one of them he he told he looked around like he was confused why someone would ever want to meet him at the rim and i'd agree with him like you're looking at so much untapped potential so much athletic potential um that will only come you know with development and time Mm -hmm. yeah and so um and then another point that i just want to i just want to ask and i'm sure you could agree with me then we'll we'll get on to our preview of wake forest and I think hmm. this was a, a critical part in this game. Was it this game? I think it was this game. Why did they switch to a one-three-one again? They okay, yeah. So they they so they switched the one-three-one both in the Virginia game and the Wake. Okay, Forest no. Game. Then I'm thinking. I mean, sorry, not the Wake Forest game, the uh, Miami game. I'm thinking of the Virginia game, but again, I okay. I so I keep this short. Bottom line, I don't want to see this one-three-one anymore. Kihei Clark. I don't. Absolutely tore that up, and he got into the middle. They <laughs> just started cutting it up. At, as soon as they switched into that one-three run, that's also where Virginia won the game. And same thing against Miami. The guards just cut that up. They were able to get any type of backside I'd play that they wanted. And uh, Miami, too, you saw in the second half, after they got into the middle of the one-three run, Buddy being up, up not being playing that middle, guy has to, or Jesse Edwards has to come up, and there's no backside help on the baseline right there when you're in a one three one since Jesse is by himself and they got the easy dunk play. They got the easy dunk. No, what's so what's so ironic about it is I think they switch into the one three one because, you know, there's some star player or some player who's going off. And so, you know, what does Jim do? He goes into the one three one. I don't know if that was the case for Virginia. It was definitely the case for Miami. He put Joe Girard at the top of that one three one to make sure that Charlie Moore wasn't pulling up from deep. I mean, at one point, this man was pulling from the logo. So, you know, switch to the 131, get someone out there. And what ended up happening was, you know, Charlie Moore and the rest of that Hurricane offense with their crisp passing, their yeah. shooting, you know, their inside play completely obliterated that, completely yeah. tore, tore that apart. And so stick with a 2 3, follow your rules. I mean, Jim, you've been building this for 46 years. Communicate how you want this to be played hopefully the players get it. I mean, I think there must be some sort of last communication where the players can't get it. There's, If you teach them properly, they're bound to come on. These these guys are, they've played basketball all their lives at such a high level. I'm sure they can manage a 2-3 zone. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully there should be smooth sailing ahead. Because, again, <laughs> who knows at this point? I, who, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> who, who freaking knows at this point? Because it's just like, I saw that. Again, the great ball movement, they move sides of the floor, they caught it on the wing, when they drove into the middle, easy, easy lot play, easy lot play because you didn't have that backside help. Yeah. And again, the guy even on the wing, pretty much, even though a one three one, a one three one half the time turns into a two three because of the rotations of of the guys. But that opposite mm. side help that to help the helper did not help the helper, and they got a lob. There's nothing Jesse could do in that situation. You have to step up on the guy driving, and you got a guy in the corner. Yeah. So the guy, he, you could head whoever's on that second wing, and you could on that strong side wing, I should say, you could go in and hedge in a little bit on the drive. But you got a shooter in the corner, and how Miami was shooting, you don't want to let that up. So if you don't have the helper being helped by somebody else, they're gonna get that law play every time, especially in that one-three-one, simply because of the fact that those wings 
are up more instead of sticking onto that baseline. So no, I'm I'm done with that one three one. Yeah, and so what ended up happening? You talked about you know the need for Jesse as the bottom part of that one three one. He had to step up, right? So what happened? He was either getting lobbed over, or they would settle for you know a short little floater. What Jesse did was he fouled him. Jesse ended up fouling out. And and you so, know and you think too. You know, Having Jesse at the bottom of a 1-3-1 when they're supposed to run the baseline, is that really the smartest <laughs> idea? Is that really the smartest idea to have your big... And it happened too. It happened too. He got blown by, again, Miami rotating the ball. Great job moving sides of the floor. Or Miami, 1-2, mm-hmm. hit the corner. Jesse closes out. Guy blows by him. Gets an and one floater. I mean, when you have your slowest guy out there running that baseline, you would expect a team to go in and just completely obliterate that. And that's what Miami did. All right. I think we've said enough about that game because... Yeah. yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we have this Wake Forest game coming up. We're going to give you a quick, quick preview. Sorry, quick preview of that game. Um, You know, we'll make it short and snappy. Um, you know, the main goal right here is not to go 0 and 3 in recent ACC play. We don't want to go 0 and 3 ACC play to begin the 2022 uh, year. And um, you know, that's going to be pretty tough considering Wake Forest right now are 12 and 3. You know, they're only 2 and 2 in the ACC, so you know, not so far off from where Syracuse is at. They're at 1 and 2, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They should yeah, they're at or sorry, they're one and two. They're one and two in ACC play. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, dude. I mean, with Wake Forest, we talked about it in our preview. It really starts and ends with Alondis Williams. He's like that go-to guy. He's that long, athletic wing. He leads Wake Forest in points, rebounds, and assists. <laughs> I mean, there really is no better definition of a go-to guy than Alondis Williams. Um, he's experienced as well, knows what he's doing, been the ACC for a while. Um, and sadly, you know, this doesn't look like our big break, according to ESPN. They give Wake Forest a 71% chance of winning, and they give Syracuse, you know, a measly 29. So, you know, this could be a rough game, Adam. Uh, I know we'll, be, we'll both be watching, possibly live tweeting if you want to follow along on Twitter. Um, that's going to be rough. Um, this is a Wake Forest team that, like I said, they're only they're only two and two in ACC play, but you know still they've had some pretty impressive play in general. They they lost to a strong Louisville team by you know four, which is a very very small margin. On paper, Syracuse gets blown out by Louisville any day. Um, you know, like like Syracuse, they ended up beating FSU. The only difference was they trounced FSU, and. Um, that broke a two-game losing skid. That was their most recent ACC game. So, you know, playing Syracuse at home, um, you know, they're going to have all the momentum. Fresh off an of FSU win. Super confident. And, uh, yeah, I guess we have one prayer, one wish in our minds, and that's just please, please don't let this get ugly. <laughs> Tyler, you, 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 know, you know what makes me sad about this? Is the fact, <laughs> is is the fact that both Wake Forest and Miami were awful last year? If I'm not mistaken, so bad. What was Wake Forest so bad dude. last year? 
2020 season. So what was their What was their record? I'm just. They were ninth in the. I ACC. mean, I just. That's it. And to hear us talking about this at the and then hearing 79 percent Wake Forest win. Is this really where Cuse has gone to this season at the fact where we have to even doubt their ability against Wake Forest? I mean, I, you talked about that 7-7 seven and seven record, which is like the worst in, you know, forever. Uh, I take it by your tone that, you know, I, I, I still think that even you believe that the season can be saved to a certain extent. It just has to be saved immediately. Like yeah. changes have to start happening now. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. it they they got to do something. And you know, no, you yeah. know what? I'm just I'm just gonna leave it at. I'm tired. I'm just gonna leave it at that. We're not gonna keep going. It's just at the bottom line. Yep. Pull, this, pull, you know, pull, this prove me as wrong for me. Just do that. Just prove them wrong. <laughs> and can can you guys please, please, please do. just do something? I I don't even know what to say. I'm just I'm I'm gonna stop. That's all I'm gonna say for this but hey, game. Yeah, um, you know, again, after listening to this, we hope you carry on with the rest of your days extremely positively, and uh, we hope you tune into the Wake Forest game, regardless of what we've said. Um, you know, cheer on Syracuse. Keep that orange in your veins. Orange faithful. Um, baby. Orange I think faithful. you know, orange faithful. Um, I think regardless of anything, this will be a good game to tune into. And, uh, you know, hopefully Syracuse can snap their three-game losing skid in the ACC, improve to 2-2 two and two, um, in the conference. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it only goes up from there. And that, that's a great point you make, Tyler, just at the fact any ACC game, being on a positive note, any ACC game is a great game to tune into. So, again, sure. still, as, as depressing as this episode might have been, especially with this <laughs> Virginia recap, I, I honestly watching ACC basketball. It's probably some of the best basketball you can watch in college basketball. So definitely no, still tuned in, still cheer on the Orange. That's what we're always gonna do, no matter how we freaking feel about this team. Always gonna be supporting it. So you guys, finally, that's all we have for this episode. Shout out to everyone that's been riding with us since we started. We have concluded our 10th episode, which I would say is a good milestone, honestly. But anytime you reach 10 that's good. And shout out to me and Tyler, too, for keeping this going. I mean, when we first started, we were like, all right, let's see how we can do this. Especially right now during break, you're in Japan and I'm in California. Yeah. That I mean, yeah. that's the crazy part, too. We've been, I'm up. It's almost midnight here. It's 5 in, or whatever time it is in the evening over there for you. We're keeping this Yeah, up. yeah. So, no, and this has been fun. So, we're excited to keep this going. Keep keep sharing. Keep listening. Keep doing anything to do. We appreciate all and any of the support that we're getting, even if it's five freaking people listening to every episode. I don't care. It's great. This is fun. We love it. We love Q's. We love Q's basketball. Don't forget, you can find Orange Overtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and remember to follow us on the socials at Orange Overtime, Instagram, Twitter, or keep sharing again. Appreciate the support. This is Adam Campos signing off for Tyler Schiff. Go Orange always, and we will see y'all on the next episode. Peace.